To the ancients, wrote C.S. Lewis, friendship seemed the happiest and most fully human of all loves, the crown of life and the school of virtue. Yet, recent studies suggest that almost half of Americans believe they have a close friend, leaving nearly half without a close friend, and many believe that no one knows them at all. What does it mean to be a friend or to have a friend? This is Christian Curious, and I am Dr. Haley Gray Scott. Each week we tackle some of the hardest, most pressing questions facing Christians in the 21st century. Today I'm speaking with David and Crystal Downing about the importance of friendship. Crystal and David are co-directors of the Marion E. Wade Center, the most comprehensive archive in the world for published and unpublished materials by and about C.S. Lewis and six of his most British influences, such as Tolkien and Dorothy Sayers. David and Crystal, welcome to Christian Curious. I'm so glad you're here. We're glad to be here. Yeah, thanks for inviting us. Well, I am interested to know, you know, there is so much confusion in our even in our language about what it what it means to be a friend. We have friends on Facebook, we have friends on Instagram, or maybe follow they may be called followers on Instagram, but the concept of friendship is very convoluted in today's culture. And I would like to hear um, how you define friendship. Well, our definition is inspired by C.S. Lewis and his four loves. David, since you're the Lewis scholar, why don't you explain what he means by friendship? Well, he takes the tack that it's mainly built on common interest and common enthusiasms. Uh, he says it's the least natural of the loves because uh, you have to have eros in order to uh, have uh, parents having children, and you have to have affection for parents to bring up their children. But friendship is not natural. In, in some ways, it's optional. But I love his line that uh, it doesn't have survival value, but it's the kind of thing that gives value to surviving. Uh, yeah. He really knew friendship because he grew up in uh, uh, the this, the world of boarding schools and then going on to Oxford, where you don't have movies, you don't have iPhones, you don't have video games. Uh, and so in many ways, it, your self-development and your simulation and your cultivation is other people. And for him, that meant mainly other boys in the boarding schools and then other men at Oxford. Uh, I sometimes think his view is a little limited. He did. I wish he would discuss more uh, friendship between men and women and friendship, which is enfolded uh, in marriage with eros and affection and friendship. Um, Crystal and I, we met primarily through common interest in literature. Then we both discovered we liked hiking and biking and being in nature we both like, uh, we're both interested in theological issues and philosophical issues. And so in many ways, our uh, relationship grew out of friendship more than it grew out of eros. I think sometimes uh, friendship is like Velcro. You have all these little hooks. You have all these attachments that uh, help you to relate to each other and to enjoy each other's company. And the more you have in common, probably the more uh, lifelong and more deep that friendship will be. And this is the trouble with our contemporary culture, and it's an issue that C.S. Lewis addresses 
by saying there are four different kinds of love and our culture has just reduced it to one, to sexual love. Right. And he wrote this when? Around 1958. Yeah, a series of radio broadcasts. Okay. And when they were broadcast in America, some American Christians were upset because he was just so explicit about eros or sexual love. They just didn't think that was proper to talk about it in such a forthright way. And he wasn't pornographic or anything. It was just not something talked about. And Lewis knew this needed to be talked about. And that's what makes the four loves still relevant to our own time. It's actually one of the few examples we have Lewis's recorded voice, these four uh, uh, tapes that he did on the four loves. And they hold up very well. They're a delight to listen to. He has a very steady bass voice. He sounds to me like Alfred Hitchcock. And now we will talk about friendship. You know, he has he says, story. Storge. Storge. <laughs> yes. I, I'm really interested to, you know, there are four different types of love, and he identified four di- the four different types of love. But I love, David, what you said about the intertwining of the two loves. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Well, he actually discovered that himself later in uh, A Grief Observed about his relationship with Joy and then her passing. He said our relationship was a divine dance of eros, storge, philia, and agape. So he realized in his relationship with Joy that they could all be intertwined. And the more you have all four kinds of love, uh, it's like four strands of a rope being much stronger than any one strand by itself. Yeah. I wish he discovered that earlier in his life. I think he would have had a richer life if he'd had more f- uh, female friendships earlier in life. Mm-hmm. Uh, and one of his very, very important friendships was with Dorothy Sayers, mm-hmm. who we collect at the Wade Center. And when we interviewed C.S. Lewis's stepson, Douglas Gresham, he told us, The first time he ever saw his stepfather, C.S. Lewis, cry is when Lewis learned about the death of Dorothy Sayers. And they had definitely the type of friendship that Lewis discusses in The Four Loves as being philia. Insofar as one of the things he says in this chapter about friendship is you don't even learn, you don't care about the personal life of a friend. What draws you together are your personal interests and you talk about those interests. I like how he puts it in his chapter where he says, you have the same questions. That doesn't mean you have the same answers, but you're interested in the same issues. And uh, I think that would shock many people today where they just think, well, friendship is just the people you share your inner life with and your frustrations over your job with and this personal life versus for Lewis, the friendship is about your intellectual and spiritual life that you, you discuss with others. Right. And and unusual that way. Uh, Some of his friends 
were surprised that he didn't take more interest in their lives outside of their their intellectual and spiritual interests. Uh, Owen Barfield said, you know, we've known each other for 20 years. Should we be calling each other a Jack and Owen? And Lewis preferred last names. So we always called him Barfield. And uh, Tolkien sometimes would start talking about some of his domestic problems with his wife and four children. And Lewis would tend to redirect the conversation back to something more intellectual or scholarly. So I think he was unusually, um, he had them compartmentalized more than most people. Mm-hmm. I can think of friends that we have that are, we have a lot of common interest, but if they're going through something very difficult, we're very interested in uh, health problems, financial problems, yeah, family help problems. Them out. So as much as I'm a uh, great uh, lover of C.S. Lewis, but I would have to say, I think he over compartmentalizes sometimes these four loves. One time somebody asked him what the J.R.R. stood for in Tolkien, and he always called him Tolkien or Tollers. And he said, I'm not sure. I think one of the, the R's stands for Ronald. So they were, they were best friends for decades, and he right. didn't even know what his initials stood for. Oh, my gosh. It would be wonderful to dive into the psychology of C.S. Lewis and to figure out yeah. why he did it that way. Um I think he would be surprised by, <clears throat> or maybe he wouldn't, you know, uh, Crystal, based on what you said earlier about the reception of his, um, uh, the four loves in America today, it is, you know, based on, you know, I recently did uh, research interviewing men in all 50 states, seven different countries about what it was, how to work with women. And one of the things that they absolutely uh, found difficult was how do you be friends with women? And Mm. that came out a lot out of the fact that many men in America were introduced to pornography at a very young age. And so they're so stuck in the Eros viewpoint, viewing women through the the lens of Eros that it's impossible for them to, or they think it's impossible for them to be friends with women. Um, You know, that's a big question that, that I've heard circulating for decades now is can men and women be friends? I mean, you heard that in in the movie when Harry met Sally, Um, can men and women be friends? Mm -hmm. Well, Lewis even mentions that in this chapter on friendship, saying it, it's really hard then when the fr- a friendship between a male and female, one person is thinking it's heading towards eros, and the other person just wants it to be a friendship. Um, so creating that distance, and maybe he had exp- experiences like that. In fact, don't you think that there was some women that um, – Lewis had correspondence relationships with, and they kind of were hoping it might move towards marriage. And he was just thinking of it as friendship. So this chapter and maybe the compartmentalizing that David is talking about was due to some awkwardness he discovered because he just so loved conversation with any intellectual, no matter their gender or sexuality. Well, he said that when word got out that he was married to Joy, that his correspondence from females dropped precipitously. 
So apparently they were thinking of this as having a, some sort of a romantic element to their correspondence. Mm-hmm. Where he didn't see it that way at all. And this is another problem with Eros ruling the way we think of all relationships, where if we see someone interested in us, we think, and of course this is reinforced by social media, by film and television, we we can't help but assume, oh, is this heading towards an erotic relationship? And so you get suspicious even when you shouldn't be suspicious. So I understand that survey that that you took. Um, in 1992, there was a famous book, bestseller, that was reissued around 2012 called, um, I forget the order of it, Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus. Mm-hmm. And just saying that, uh, <clears throat> males and females tend to, especially in relationships and marriages, approach things differently. But then my own husband calls me his favorite Martian because I'm much more <laughs> like the way he describes males in that I intellectualize everything. I I don't want to go, oh, I'm sorry, you had a bad day at work. Instead, I go, okay, here's David, is what you have to do. You need to do <laughs> So, um The trouble with generalizations is that where do those people fall who um, subvert or who don't conform to those generalizations? And Dorothy Sayers, who I write my books about, is definitely someone who didn't conform to generalizations about women. In fact, in 1938, she published a book... um, called or she gave a talk that was later published called are women human Mm -hmm. and identifying all the ways that women weren't being treated as human and human in 1938 was basically defined by males right i have a unique answer to your question about can men and women be friends in the workplace we're co-directors of the wade center here at wheaton college but we're also cohabitors. We've been married for, so my answer would be go ahead and marry your colleague. And that, uh, <laughs> that's, I, I guess you can only uh, go for that resolution once, but uh works yes. for us. Right. Yeah. And that works if you're not already married. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's right. Exactly. Well, I think Lewis does touch upon the idea in in his culture, men tended to be educated and go into professions, and women tended to be um, the uh, the homemaker and, and the child raiser. There's a German phrase, Kuka Kirka Kinter, which defined the women's domain, which was the kitchen, church, and children. And even in England, uh, many of the Inklings' wives, they had this wonderful friendship but, but Tolkien's wife and Lewis's adopted mother, Mrs. Moore, and Charles Williams' wife, they all resented the Inklings because they uh, felt that it took the men out of the house so much. Um, I think you could argue that it's easier to be friends now when you have well-educated men and women mm-hmm. and people who are contributing in the workplace together. I think it's easier for men and women to be friends now than it was in Lewis's time. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe yeah, so. I, I would think so. I mean, that, you know, that dichotomy has existed, you know, for most of recorded history. I mean, you can think back to the Greeks who originally came up with these four loves and or who 
Lewis Basie's Four Loves On, the teachings of um, the, the Greek philosophers. And you saw that play out extremely. I mean, the dichotomy between what was accessible for women versus what was accessible for men. And education was absolutely not accessible right. for women. And so when men were seeking friendships or analyzing friendships and, you know, trying to discover what it was, they would not naturally look to women. And, right. you know, this has been going on for millennia. And so I wonder if this tension that we feel between building friendships between men and women is sort of like the hangover from that. I mean, because it's, you know, relatively, if you look at the scope of human history and women entering the workforce, really after World War II, World War II um, that's a very short time. That's a very short period of time. For us to get used to that idea. And I think it's it's easy to think, oh, we should be able to, you know, snap our fingers and, you know, get with it. And maybe part of that hesitation is just sort of the hangover from the millennia of history. Right. Well, I think the principle of common interest uh, isn't gendered necessarily. Uh, when I was younger, I played in an over 40 soccer league. And after a game, we'd sit around on the grass and talk about all the good plays and had a lot of great camaraderie. And then at the end of the season, we'd have a big party to kind of wrap up the soccer season. And when you actually went to the party, you discovered these people from all walks of life have all different levels of education. And inevitably we'd sit around talking about soccer. And if things got slow, somebody would go turn on a soccer game on TV. We'd all <laughs> gather around and watch soccer on TV. And the problem was our, our common, uh, interest our hook was was just soccer we didn't have a lot of other things to right. talk about so that kind of segregation can happen in different spheres not just the uh, gender spheres in fact lewis makes the comment in this chapter in the four loves where he says companionship is not the same thing as friendship right. and i think he would give that soccer right. example um as evidence so just because you play games together but again, Lewis was an intellectual, so his greatest um, satisfaction was through conversations and exploring things, and he says twice in this chapter, oh, you like that too? And it's like that immediate connection. It doesn't even matter if you learn their first name, like Tolkien's first name. It, it's this connectedness of wanting to explore ideas together. And of course, that's why he's this multi-million um, dollar um, uh, selling, author. selling author still to this day, because his ideas are so helpful, so rich, his ability to integrate conversation about Christianity with intellectual, philosophical um, concepts. Yeah. He was usually passionate about the things he loved. Um, I think sometimes the reason friendships don't develop now is everybody watches a little bit of TV, a little bit of sports. You know, did you see this movie? Have you seen this latest TV series? But nobody tends to take a real passionate interest in things. Lewis was always surprised. He mentions in Experiment and Criticism that after the workday, he'd be 
sitting in a pub talking to a colleague, and he'd bring up a question of literature or philosophy. And they'd say, oh, Lewis, you know, our work day's over. Why are you still talking yeah. about that? And he was always surprised. He had such a devotion to the subjects that he loved that he could talk about them all day, every day. Right. And I think that's part of the reason he has such deep, deep friendships, is he was on the lookout for other people with that same level of, right. of passion. Well, and I think this is why he liked Sayers, because she had the same concept that work shouldn't just be about making money. Work should be about pursuing your passion. And if you have to have a job where just to earn money, especially for people who haven't been educated, you notice how many people will have a hobby that they give their creativity and passion to. So they were very similar in that um, arena. And he actually sort of looked up to her in a mentor as a sense, didn't he? Well, yeah. He, uh, when she sent him a copy of The Man Born to be King, which was her 12 radio plays about Jesus, he was so impressed with it that he read it every year for his Easter devotions until he died. And so that was 43, that was 20 years he read her plays over and over. And um, several months before he died, he asked, what has most influenced your spiritual life? And he named four things, one of which was Dorothy Sayers and her radio plays about Jesus. So, yeah, she mentored him spiritually, as well as was a good intellectual combatant. And Lewis loved combative conversations. That's why he says we want the same questions, but not the same answers. He liked and Joy David men. I think Dorothy Sayers prepared Lewis for his marriage to Joy David men because she was combative, intellectually combative as well. And this actually created something of a problem because Lewis felt like, yeah, Joy David is David men is my favorite Martian. I'll bring him her to Inklings groups. So he would protest when, or not protest, but. He wasn't comfortable with the other men bringing their wives, but he felt he could bring joy because she could engage intellectually. Oh, interesting. I bet that yeah. caused ruffled some feathers at that time. <laughs> it, it did. There was an unspoken rule that you didn't bring spouses, but he thought she was so obviously different from the other men's spouses that she would be an exception to the rule. And of course they resented the fact that he didn't think that through a little bit more clearly. Mm. Oh goodness. Yeah. And one of the principles that goes back to your early question about what is friendship, what inculcates friendship, is not simply sharing the same intellectual passions, but meeting in friend groups. And he emphasizes this. And we can see that in the Inklings, where they would gather together to discuss things and read each other's literature. And Today, in our world today, if we want to inculcate friendship, I think friendship groups are very important. I actually created one at the last college where I um, was an English professor, a group of women who were all publishing, and we called ourselves the Pinklings. Because we were women (laughs) who had the same intellectual passions, and we met together once a month and read each other's work very similar to the Inklings. And that 
is important. It's not just, oh, here's my best friend, and I don't want to share that best friend with someone else. It, Lewis explicitly says, if you have friendship love, you want to share that love with others because you see the a more depth and perspective to your own friends by what other people bring out in them. You know, that raises another question. You know, I think one of the most important questions for people to dwell on in today's society, um, why do you think friendships are so important? I mean, we don't need friendships like we need Eros love, as C.S. Lewis said, because we don't need friendships to make babies. We don't need store gay love to rear us. Why do we need friendships? Um, I had an answer that just. Okay. Well, I would say that the trouble today is people don't value friendship enough. Um, they or they try to, to sexualize it. Yeah, sexualize. Right. Like you see these, um, I don't know if you have them, but here in Illinois, there are signs that say love is love. And I want to say, no, you got to read the four loves. There are different kinds of love, and it's just an example of reducing love to eros, you know, no matter the sexuality, no matter the gender. And um, because of that problematic reduction in our culture, people aren't valuing friendship. Uh, David, tell about the students sitting at your office uh, one day. The Yeah. Well, when I, I was, they were actually out in the hallway waiting for a professor. They were sitting side by side, sitting on the floor, and they were both texting. And I said, now you two are good friends. Why don't you take this opportunity to chat and catch up rather than texting? And they said, oh, we're texting each other. Oh, my gosh. And they said, we're just mo- more comfortable communicating that way. Yeah. Which actually goes back to your question. Uh, part of the reason I think for friendship is to complete yourself. I was just reading an article that uh, even infants, their development can be impeded by too much screen time and not enough interaction. If you're just watching someone on TV, that's different from interacting with your mother and they either their role model with how to handle this stress or how to handle this disagreement. And I think in friendship, we complete ourselves in each other. In a way, it's almost an image of the Trinity. Uh, Lewis talked about how the, the father uh, loves the, the son and the son loves the father, and they're connected by the spirit. But that outward-facing energy, I think, is uh, friendship may be the, the closest reflection of that, that we complete ourselves in those around us. Wow. Uh, what's that verse about friends uh, sharpening friend like iron sharpens iron? Mm-hmm. Yes. I do. Uh, I like his emphasis on the fact that Friendship is not competitive or jealous. Uh, And obviously, if you're falling in love with someone, you don't want them to fall in love with a third party. And even in a family, when you say mom likes you best, there's kind of a competitive competing for your parents' affection. Whereas friendship, uh, he actually gives the example of uh, Tolkien and Charles Williams, that it actually adds to the conversation to see how Ronald is is responding to Charles's remark. It actually gives you more levels of interaction and richness than you would have in just a one-on-one uh, relationship. Mm-hmm. I'm actually, I'm watching right now. I'm watching my daughters go through junior high and discussing. You know, I hear them discussing their friendship groups, and 
girls' friendship groups in junior high are definitely jealous things. Um, <laughs> and yeah. so that's not, that is a great lesson to, to teach what is real friendship. Right, right. Mm-hmm. And Lewis addresses this issue in this chapter by uh, talking about the fact that friendship, he thinks, is closest to the angels. But because it's close to the angels, it's also close to fallen angels, which, of course, are demons in that people can create jealousy, this idea, no, you can't join our group, and it can become prideful and exclusive. And it's about the exclusivity rather than about the joy of each other's company. Yeah. You know, a good essay that would supplement this chapter, The Four Loves, called The Inner Ring, and that's the danger of wanting to be the insider uh, in that group. And sometimes you even make moral compromises in order to get in with the in-group. Right. So that, that essay on the inner ring would be a good complement to this chapter right. on friendship. And a yeah. good place to end. Well, you know, you guys are a fount of wisdom on this issue. And if people want to dive deeper into your work, where can they find you? We are at the Wade Center. They could just email us at wade at wheaton.edu. And we have our own podcast. So they could go um, to the Wade Center in Illinois and just find our podcast. Great. But our podcast doesn't compete with your podcast because we're friends. We're <laughs> That's glad. right. We're, we're friends. We're all out there uh, <laughs> yeah. sharing these conversations. Well, thank you both so much for being with us today. Oh, thank you. This was fun. Thanks for inviting us. Good conversation. You've been listening to Christian Curious with Dr. Haley Gray Scott. Visit our website at www.christiancurious.com to find more shows and find out more about us. That's www.christiancurious.com. Stay curious. Mm